So uh, the world is definitely getting back to uh, normal-ish. I mean, not only do we have more people in the sanctuary uh, since Rosh Hashanah, so this is a very nice thing. I've also spent time in my car this week and traffic is back, which is certainly an indication that the world is getting back to normal. And as I spent, unfortunately, seemingly hours on my car this week, uh, navigating through streets and traffic, I thought about roads. And in particular, what I started thinking about was the differences between the kinds of roads that we find in North America, a little less so in Canada, by the way, but I'll get to that in a moment, than what, for example, you might find in Europe, and certainly so in Israel. And what I mean particularly are the names of roads. Now, growing up in New York, I grew up in a place where streets were given numbers or letters. Uh, by and large, or you had lots of places called Broadway and Main Street and things like that. In, uh, certainly in Canada, there are some notable streets that have not just generic names to it, but they have historical names to it. Young Street, Bathurst, Dufferin, Dundas, although I believe that's changing soon, um, to name just a few. But those are notable exceptions, by the way. By and large, most of the streets that you'll find throughout the greater Toronto area are streets such as Atlas Road, Fairley Crescent, Park Hill, Old Park, for example. Names that really have no particular historical context to it. They're just nice sounding names. And sometimes the further north you go today, where you have planned communities that are set up by developers and builders, you'll have some, a street, because I know I drove by it the other day, it was called uh, Mary Lou. And clearly it was the name of the husband and wife or the grandparents of the developer, things along that nature. And what I started thinking about is that uh, names and streets in Europe to some degree, but certainly in Israel, is an entirely different story. In Israel this past week, they just gave a new name to a street and it took 12 years to make its way through the street commission. Every city, every town has a commission that debates and ultimately decides on what the names of the street is going to be. And so walking through Israel, if you've never done this before, not only walking through Israel, but walking through Israel, if you've had the opportunity with a tour guide to stop at a number of different streets and, and just listen to the history of what the street is named after, is actually a bit of a remarkable moment of instruction. And so I thought, with that experience in mind, and this bigger idea I want to share with you, are some names that probably you know from Israel. Now, in Tel Aviv, we know that there's a Dizengoff Street, which is named after the first mayor of Tel Aviv. We know that there's a Rothschild Boulevard named after Edmund Rothschild, who was one of the great financiers of the early Zionist project. But there are also some names that perhaps, even in some smaller streets, that lend itself to understanding that the naming of streets, particularly in Israel, are deeply connected to history. For example, Bogoshev Street. Bogoshev Street is well known in Tel Aviv as being a, a kind of a hipster, very youth-driven kind of street, lots of bars, cool restaurants and whatnot. Bogoshev was named after the man uh, Bogoshev was the first principal <clears throat> of the Herzliya Gymnasium or high school 
in the new city of Tel Aviv. And so the street they named after him becomes the street that attracts all the young people. Schenken Street. Schenken Street was known and still is today as a place where a lot of artisans lived, art shops, fabric stores. Schenken was an early Zionist leader who believed in spite of the socialist ideal that people should only do things that have a utilitarian value to it, Schenken said that artists also could contribute to the socialist project. So Schenken Street becomes this kind of little mini artist colony. Mapu Street was named after the person who planned the master plan for the city of Tel Aviv. Herbert Samuel Street, right by the water, Herbert Samuel was the governor of the British Mandate Palestine. He was Jewish and tried to balance in the early British Mandate Palestine period between the needs of the British Empire and his support of the Jewish resettlement and immigration program. But I want to take you to another street. The street I want to take you to is not in Tel Aviv, it's in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem. The street is called Emek Rifaim. You ever been there? Emek Rifaim? Emek Rifaim, the name Emek Rifaim means the Valley of the Ghosts. Emek Rifaim today is a, is a street that is bustling with restaurants and shops and whatnot. But this street, if you look very carefully at the end of it, if you stand facing east, it winds its way all the way through to the very, very heart at the bottom of where the Mount of Olives is. And the question I think for us to ask, since all the names of streets in Israel apparently have some kind of deeper historical context and meaning, is why would they call a beautiful street in Jerusalem, Emek Rifaim, the Valley of the Ghosts? What I'd like to share with you also on a similar archaeological note is that we know that from the ancient, ancient digs that cut through layers of Jewish history in the land of Israel is the idea that literacy, in particular, the literacy given to children is a long-standing value amongst the Jewish people. If the Greeks, for example, are noted for their poetry and their philosophy, and if the Romans are noted for their military power, then the story of the Jews must certainly be represented by at times the struggle, but always the determination to bring children into the world. The story that we read this morning in our Torah portion is but one example woven throughout the entire fabric of the biblical story of Jews bringing children into the world. A memory for you? When I was a child, I was brought to school in kindergarten, and they were teaching us the Aleph Bet, the Hebrew alphabet. And they put in front of us, this is before computers, so they put in front of us a tablet, it was a wooden tablet, that had each of the letters, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the teacher stood at the front of the classroom, and on top of or alongside of each letter, was a little piece of chocolate. And as the teacher read each letter, Aleph, we repeated after him, Aleph, he would say, 
eat the chocolate. This tradition, which for the record is hundreds of years old, we know that this was a long-standing tradition, not only amongst the medieval Ashkenazi communities, but in the Sephardic and North African communities throughout the Jewish world over the past thousand years. What was the idea of value? It was to associate that learning and development and growth and intellect and knowledge was to be connected to something sweet and beautiful. That the effort in raising children and connecting them to the sweetness of what it means to understand who you are and where you come from, well, that's a long-standing Jewish tradition and value. The story of Jews dedicating themselves to building schools and synagogues. Wherever they go in the world, what's the old expression? Wherever Jews go, they do two things. They build schools and hospitals. At the long-standing dedication of doing that shouldn't be lost to us because once again, the caring and raising and developing of bringing children is a long-standing Jewish value which throws this morning's Torah portion into a tremendous question. Because the question that emerges from this Torah portion, which can be seen if you're able to, the, uh, the stained glass window, the beautiful one here, is an artist's rendering of one of the stories from the Torah portion for this morning. It is known as the Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, they call it in English, where Abraham, we are told, is commanded to take his only son Isaac from Sarah to bring him to a mountain called Moriah, Moriah, which later on in Jewish tradition, we are told, is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and to sacrifice him. Long-standing Jewish tradition tells us that God was testing Abraham to see that if Abraham was truly devoted to God, to see if Abraham was a man filled with the kind of faith that could fulfill God's mission in this world, and that bring people into the world that subsequently would do the same as well. Soren Kierkegaard, the great Danish Christian philosopher, wrote an entire book on this called Fear and Trembling, where he imagines Abraham filled with fear and trembling and faith, reluctantly but faithfully brings Isaac to the mountain to sacrifice him. Now, of course, we know the end of the story. Isaac isn't sacrificed. But the question that if Judaism is so caring and involved in the mission to bring children into the world, why would God have asked Abraham to sacrifice his child? Now, I know some of the answers. They go, God never really intended to do it. It was a test of Abraham. And at the moment that Abraham was about to bring the knife down to Isaac's throat, an angel pulls back Abraham's hand and says, don't touch the child. And a ram appears in the thickets of the bushes. There's the image. And God says, not the child, the ram. And that's why we blow a ram's horn in Rosh Hashanah. But a 20th century American Jewish theologian and philosopher, Abraham Joshua Heschel, turns the entire story on its head. He says, that the story tells us not that God was testing Abraham, but the real story is that Abraham was testing God. Abraham was testing God to see 
if God was the kind of God that he could trust, who cared as much for children as Abraham did, that Abraham, the man who waited till the late years of his life to finally see this child from Sarah, look at the image of Abraham in the stained glass window. He has a long gray beard. Jewish tradition says that it was Isaac came in the twilight of his life. That Abraham was testing God. When God sent him to bring Isaac, Abraham waited. If God would become the kind of God, would be the kind of God that would say, never hurt a child. Never. But back to the city and the road of Amek Raphaim. Why is Amik Raphaim called the street of the Valley of Ghosts? Because if you stand east, looking at Amik Raphaim, as I said to you, it winds all the way into the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is on one side on the east bank of the old city of Jerusalem. On the west side is the Temple Mount. And in between is a valley. That valley is called the Valley of Hinnom. It's an ancient, ancient place. It predates the arrival of the Israelites to the land of Israel. We're talking about 3,300 years. It is seeped in ancient Canaanite archaeological facts as well. And when the ancient rabbis were imagining some of the worst places in the world, they thought of that place. This valley of Hinnom, why? Well, only about 50 years ago did we finally discover why. Because archaeologists, as they started digging through the valley of Hinnom, they discovered that the ancient Canaanites used to use this valley as a place of religious worship. And in particular, the ancient Canaanites had a number of significant places of worship where child sacrifice took place where they sacrifice children in the worship of God. And when the ancient rabbis imagined a name to give to hell, what did they call it? Gehenna, Gai Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. Because in the imagination of the rabbis, the place on earth closest to what hell might be is a place where children are hurt. Once again, it echoes for us that the great mission of Jewish life is the opposite of that. It is the raising and rearing and developing of children, of bringing children into the world. As the great rabbi, European rabbi, he was known as the altar of Slobodka. He lived about 150 years ago in echoing the thought of how beautiful the Jewish mission of children in the world. And for the record, you should know that Israel is the only country in the OECD amongst all of the Western economic powers that has a positive birth rate number. Israel is a country that is teeming with children. And we know this moreover because when they started analyzing the number of people or percentages that you needed to vaccinate for COVID, Nearly 33% of the Israeli population was under 18 years of age. But the altar of Sabatka said, with that in mind, he said that a child that loses their parents is called an orphan. 
But a people that has no children is also called an orphan. Shabbat shalom.